I don't even know what that is. That's me doing the music. Is that what the music sounds like to you? No. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we talk about the academic discoveries and innovations that we often hear about, but uh, never actually make it to market. And we want to look at why that is and what it might take to then move those things forward into actual things. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I am the dumbest person in the room and the word monkey at Unimed, the technology transfer office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha, who are the primary sponsors of the Overground. I'm joined by Tyler Sher and Joe Rungi, who both work in the office. Joe is a patent attorney. Um, and second dumbest. Second. Called it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, he man. called it. on second dumbest, so that makes you the smartest, Tyler. Shotgun. <laughs> so he's also an entrepreneurial werewolf, I believe. I am, yes. And... Um, and you also work with the Unitech, which is the incubator. Yes. Not an accelerator. No, not an accelerator. Okay, because I made that mistake. We incubate. The incubate. And Translational Research Institute. And please, uh, all of our listeners, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. Take a moment to leave a rating. We love talking about innovations from all over the world and want to talk to it about as many people as possible. Please also check out the future technology in the notes. It's always something cool, but... This week, it is especially cool. It's very specially cool. Um, it kind of hurts my brain to think about it a little bit. But we'll get to that in a minute um, because we do want to talk about those uh, academic discoveries, not just at Nebraska, but everywhere. So please, uh, if you have an idea, actually, you know, wouldn't hurt to send us a note. Also, uh, Tyler's also with us. He's a licensing, what are we calling him, a specialist now, associate? Not a licensing werewolf, I can tell you that. Licensing <laughs> monkey. Can we call you a monkey? Um, licensing um, He has a, Tyler, you actually have a PhD, right? I do. Have you had a chance yeah. to use that yet? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yay, score it one. helps me understand things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as the smartest person in the room, anything else to add? Uh, no, not at the <laughs> moment. All right, so no, you're no, not no, in Mensa is what I, you're saying. Got it. <laughs> um, so I think it's about time we went over something, Joe, you were talking about. I am, yes. So what do you got? So one of the things that I think is really astonishing is, is quantum theory, the fact that the the more granular you get into the nature of existence, the less sense it makes. I think that's that's just really cool. And one of the applications of those that I've been really interested in for a while is quantum computing. And one of the things that universities around the world are actually creating new intellectual property and new commercial opportunities around are sort of the building blocks of quantum computing. Quantum, quantum com computing. Quantum right. computing. So that's a that just sounds like a, a bad sci-fi catchphrase. It is. You know, we got the uh, we need the quantum computer so we can time travel to reboot this series because we don't want to pick up where it left off. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. <laughs> you can't just combine a, a sci-fi word and a science word. <laughs> so I think, like, to, to start out though, because uh, you know I, I'm not a physicist by training by any means, and, and only the second smartest person there. So I think that I I, I had to kind of. That's a really low bar. <laughs> We need more people. Yes. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that uh, Tyler and I got to talking about was, was sort of was Schrodinger's cat. And, and it's a 
a, a thought experiment from classical physics that sort of talks about how truly mind-bending the nature of reality is. And the, the idea is, is that if, if you have a, a cat, right, and I guess a cesium atom, I'm not sure how that really works. And, and a container of poison. And a container of poison, yes. That's actually really important, right? So you have these sort of elements that, okay, that I'm, could— I'm going to hold on my skepticism here for a minute. So that, that could create two possible outcomes, right? Either the cat is alive and didn't eat the poison or the cat is dead and did eat the poison. If the box is closed and you don't have any way to know what's going on inside, then under sort of class and, uh, under sort of quantum theory, both those outcomes are possible. They're, they're both simultaneously existing. And this is really important to understand applications of quantum science. Because quantum theory and Schrodinger's cat, it just sounds like, you it know. It sounds like gibberish. It sounds like if, you know, does a tree fall in the woods? Right. It's like stuff you talk about at a party to sound cool. Yeah. Right. And it right. doesn't yeah. work. It, it works. Stog right. spelled backwards. <laughs> right. G-O-D. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> exactly. How Mind does this possibly blown. get to an actual thing, right? Like, yeah. you know, how does how does our drum circle lead to us being able to, you know, have slightly more efficient <laughs> banking, right? That, that's what I want to know. And, and it does. It does. Like this action this is what's amazing to me. Like you, you go from Schrodinger's cat to economic activity. That that's where we're going today. And and that, that's what's astonishing to me. So how does Schrodinger's cat figure into this? I don't understand. Exactly. Right. That that's exactly it. This, we have to start. Where my here. Brain's yeah, yeah. So this totally describes entanglement, a concept called entanglement. I'll let Joe riff on that here in a second. But importantly for this thought experiment, after a given amount of time with the cat and the poison and some sort of Geiger counter that can measure that cesium. Uh, <laughs> so Adam, the, so there, it's radioactive poison. There, there's some. Well, there's a radioactive a timer, line. basically. After a given amount of time, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, it's indeterminate whether or not the cat is alive or dead. So it's it's thought to be simultaneously alive and dead until you open the box. Until you observe the cat. Right. So you open the box. The cat's dead. It was always dead the whole time. So it couldn't have possibly been both. Well, but the, the point is that you, you, as an observer of the system, mm-hmm. don't have any capability to know whether the cat's alive or dead. Right. That doesn't make it both. But the, the, the premise is that you don't know. Relative to you, so both those outcomes out. are simultaneously <laughs> occurring. I can't deal with this. I know. It gets really <laughs> our, freaky. It is, it's too freaky, Deke. I can't right. handle it. So, okay. So, so let's so, move forward, please. Okay. I'm not going to. No get, more cats. I'm, I'm just not going to do, 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 Okay. Do, so do, classical do. computing operates with electrons, right? Everything your computer does is broken down into a series of ones and zeros, and those ones and zeros represent whether or not an electron is held physically in a processor and basic memory, things binary like. code, right? Basic so, binary code. A is on, B is off, right. then off and on. Then it can get into really long, complicated strings to say a simple sentence. And right? so the physical mechanics of computing in a classical sense come down to the ability to hold electrons in their charge and to have a processor that can move the electrons back and forth, which is, you know, pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. Right. So there's been this arms race to get as many electrons in as small space with physical space. Physical space. Right. And electricity to move the electrons around. Faster the processor, more math you can do. Right? right. Okay. okay. I can handle that. So that that makes sense. So going back to Schrodinger's cat. Oh no. So <laughs> if we had to, if your processor, <laughs> I could kill that cat myself. <laughs> instead of measuring whether or not there's an electron there, is instead measuring the quantum state of a particular phenomenon. It could be. Uh, a light particle, it could be uh, electromagnetism, it could be an atom, right? It has a quantum phenomenon. It is uh, spinning, it is entangled, it is uh, something else, right? All these like really sophisticated quantum phenomenon that are sort of on the cusp of theoretical physics. 
there are scientists at universities around the country now who are finding applications of these to actually use the observation of those phenomena to drive computational machines, computers. Right? Okay, so so what this does is eliminates the limitations on physical space. So is that it, what you're telling me? you still have physical space, but what now you have is where a computer was one or zero. Now it could be one, zero, it could be both, right? Which is how your Schrodinger's cat thing freaks you out, right? <laughs> but then it could also be all sorts anyway, of other things. Anyway, we could things. work lasagna into the Schrodinger Probably. cat. Can we make a Garfield thing? So Who's you could, Odie in this? So, <laughs> so you could have two particles in like non-localized uh, proximity, right? They're miles and miles apart and they can still interact. So one of the difficulties in, in quantum computing is we are on a very early stage of even understanding how quantum phenomena work. And so to be able to observe a quantum shift in a particle and use that as the basis for computers is really, really complicated because you have to isolate it from the rest of the universe. So uh, there's a really great video um, that is on Wired. It's one of the scientists. Wired.com? At Wired.com, like yeah. We'll include a link on that in our um, in our, uh, show notes. our show notes. But it's Dr. Uh, Talia Gershon, and she explains quantum computing. She starts out explaining it to a child, which is really helpful okay. for me, That's and then to a teenager, <laughs> well, and then to a college student, a graduate. Does she, split, does she explain it to a cat? Well, actually, that might be where I, I think there's in. an extended <laughs> version where she starts out explaining it to a brick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's right. And then after she explains... Explains it to the theoretical physicist. She explains it to an incarnation of a Hindu deity. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, we are all Brahmin. <laughs> Quantum computer. Sorry, I rehearsed that gag. <laughs> you expect a bigger laugh? I or? really. I hope she listens it, to it. It didn't at all sound forced. It <laughs> did. She's like these guys. <laughs> Hindu deities. Another Hindu deity joke. I know. I'm so sick of this. Uh, so, so if this doesn't add to the physical space, would you? Is there another metaphor you could use to describe? Does this maybe add another dimension? It adds another dimension. That's a okay. really good way to describe it. So instead of being plus, and actually, it adds more than one dimension. It adds yeah. an inconceivable amount of it. As, as your your right. your computational power is only bounded by as weird as quantum theory can get, which is pretty dang weird. So. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's really cool about it, though, and, and one thing that, that Dr. Gershon was, was talking about on this that all of the inventors talk about in the promotional materials and the technology we're going to talk about is that quantum computing is not going to be the thing that replaces your smartphone, that quantum computing has very different applications than classical computing. And the things that it's good at are the things that classical computing needs to get better at, big data analysis. Uh, complicated uh, simulation systems. So think about it, right? If you've got something with a lot of variables, you're trying to simulate the weather or you're trying to simulate how the environment is going to respond to something. Quantum computing is really good at that because it's 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 uh, variable. There's lots of dimensions, right, to which you can change the computational computational framework and sort of there. So it's a it's a field that's like very much in its infancy. And so there are two technologies that I found at universities that are really emblematic of kind of the next step of what quantum computing needs to do. So the first one uh, comes out of the University of Maryland. It's actually a, a collaboration between Duke and the University of British Columbia. Um, but what it is, it's it's uh, Drs. Monroe and, and Kim and, and Rassendorf. And what they found is a modular system for quantum computing. So right now, quantum computing operates, the processors are called qubits. And you basically have a machine that can observe quantum shifts 
in some type of atom or ion or, or light particle. And so they use lasers, um, and the, the lasers are sort of organized in a way where they can be different colors or they can recognize different patterns that are in the lasers. But the, the whole premise is they use essentially data and conventional computing in order to scale modules of quantum computing qubits. And this is a big deal because right now, most quantum computers are hardwired. They can't be programmed. Mm -hmm. You have to basically have the function in the computer built into the actual hardware itself. They are starting to build kind of the next generation thing, which is layers of abstraction, which let you actually write software okay. onto the computer. So you're talking about hardware, right? which you can't create software for. I'm talking about hardware that has a software baked into it. Okay. So programmers can't really go in and start coding into the quantum computers. So is it, so is it physical things that need to be switched or dialed or adjusted? So, um, the, the, for, for this technology out of Maryland, what they're basically doing is the, the lasers that sort of observe the quantum shifts, they then have on top of that something that's much more like conventional computing and allows uh, more conventional computer scientists to be able to really start to program things into the quantum computer in a more efficient way. And so this is sort of um, one of the, the explainers I listened to talk about, we're, we're sort of doing computing before there's an integrated circuit, right? These are, are really simple sort of vacuum tube type computers compared to kind of modern gotcha. com, you know, okay. electronic computers. And as, as much as I go on my Thomas Edison screes, you know, there's a reason computers are really, really efficient. People are making the same computers over and over and over. Quantum computers are, are such in their infancy in, in that sense. And so what's really cool about this technology from Maryland is that now you're kind of getting out of, oh, my gosh, we can actually do quantum computing, which is pretty impressive in its own right, to how do we actually make this a bit more practical? How do we make it scalable? Yeah. And so the way they've done that is by making it modular with these sort of scalable qubit arrays, I guess, for lack of a better term, and the, and the lasers that can read them. But in addition to that, they, they sort of have a, a data layer on top of it that allows them to actually do some of that evaluation. But the second one is, is really interesting, too. So quantum computing is complicated because quantum interactions occur within the universe all the time and spontaneously. And so in order to do a quantum computer, you have to isolate whatever your quantum function is from the rest of the universe to, to sort of make it directly observable. And so there's a group of researchers at the University of Arizona, um, and they use sort of acoustics to uh, measure quantum changes. Could, what, like sound waves? Like sound waves. <clears throat> and so um, the, the thing that's really cool about that is those sound waves don't require the uh, qubit itself to be sort of isolated from the universe as much. Now, isolation from the universe typically means that it's, it's frozen to very, very low temperatures. And if you see most quantum computers, they're sort of in, contained in this sort of freezer core, right? But because they use sound waves in this Arizona computer, they don't need to do that. They, they can sort of keep it at room temperature and do quantum computing experiments at room temperature, which is really cool. So how, I mean, how close is this to a practical reality for us then? So mm -hmm. I think it's still a very long ways because these computers are so much in their infancy. But the thing that's really cool about these technologies, both of these are, are patent are patent pending technologies from these universities, that these are going to be really critical building blocks as the first commercial applications really start building out. So for companies that are looking to get investment to build practical applications of quantum computers, both of these technologies would be huge advantages. If you're the only one who can do room temperature quantum computing, that's going to be a, a real advantage well, yeah. commercially. Or if you have this modular framework that's easily expandable, that's a that's really laying the groundwork for what's going to happen. Yeah, if you need canisters of liquid nitrogen to do your computing. Right. 
Um, so what um, what are the I mean, it sounds like the, these quantum computers are for really it's hard to imagine big right. Um, is there any like for you know home use? Like um, you said, not for your cell phone. Right. Is there is there a use? Do I have a use for a quantum computer at all? Apart apart from it sounds like teleportation's in there too, because you're talking <laughs> about interacting without space mattering. <laughs> so teleportation will hold over for another show. But I think that uh, as far as applications of quantum computing, as you start to see more distributed computing, right? So your your phone uh, doesn't predict the weather, right? It logs onto a server somewhere where someone's figured out the weather and it, it tells you. Mm-hmm. I think that quantum computing is very much going to link into that model where as you start getting more sophisticated models for more complex phenomenon, you're you're going to be able to use quantum computing to have better weather prediction. That's like a really good example of it. Or as you're trying to find really difficult to identify patterns in, in big data problems, quantum computing will sort of revolutionize that. So we're talking about something with more commercial use than consumer use. So, yes, this is definitely going to start out with very much with commercial use. But I think the thing that's going to get really interesting is as those commercial uses occur, there'll be different understandings of what you can do with quantum computing. Like tech advances like these will take what are, you know, giant room filled, you know, a computer that fills an entire room like a computer in the 1940s, right? And gradually – Even with the ones that put the man on the moon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so – you know, no one would ever have thought that one of those computers would ever be so small that you could carry it around with you. Um, and now they are. And, yeah. and so I think that, you know, quantum computing likely will follow a, a similar track. <clears throat> yeah, I think I saw somewhere the, um, like the, the Apollo mission computers that, that they use for the Saturn V rockets had the computing power of a really advanced scientific calculator today. Right. Wow. So Texas Instruments. Yeah. I don't know if we want to plug Texas Instruments. <laughs> oh, I thought they were supporting they to, us. They, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now we have to call them. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think it's time to come to ground. Thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure to check the program notes. We got uh, some links to some cool stuff about uh, quantum computing. If it doesn't blow your mind, then reach out to Joe and blame him for the problems and headaches that ensue. Uh, for Joe and Tyler, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you and join us again on the Innovation Overground.